Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. Um, so we're kind of in between series right now. We just finished Church on Fire. Um, so we're in a transitional period, which means I get to teach on whatever I want. Um, and so we're going to be teach. Hello? Sorry, it sounded weird. Um, so we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 tonight. Um, yeah, Daniel. It's a great book. Um, I, I was um, able to teach this sermon over there for the adults like a couple weeks ago, and I'm very relieved and like happy to be sharing it with you guys because it's, oh, old people are like scary and stuff. Um, but yeah, so Daniel chapter one, um, and before we really get into it, I just wanted to give you guys a quick little, um, timeline thing. Um, so the book of Daniel, if you haven't read it, um, anyway, the book of Daniel, if you haven't read it, it's, um, it's full of a lot of prophecy and um, also a lot of practical things. But because it deals with this idea of prophecy, of um, saying what's going to happen in the future, a lot of people have been like, well, there's no way that it was written before those things happened. It would just make sense that someone wrote it after those things happened. Um, and there's a specific guy, a philosopher by the name of Porphyry, who claims that the book of Daniel was not written in 600 BC, but 50 AD, which is a pretty big gap. Um, but if you look at this, uh, there's this thing called the Septuagint, which is basically the translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek, because that language is, um, becoming more prominent and kind of like the English of the day, um, and in this translation, we see records that Daniel was translated. And this, this translation took place in 285 B.C. So there's, um, there's proof in non-Christian history that this book was actually written before um, the things about which it's written took place. Um, so as we read this book, um, I just want you guys to understand, like, this is a real thing. This isn't just a parable or, like, a story that was made up. Like, this actually happened. Um, and so kind of with that in our minds, I think that it's easier to um, kind of take the advice and, like, look at the life of this guy, Daniel, and really, like, apply it to how we live our lives. Um, so we're going to be starting in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. Um, my Bible had a little subtitle, and it says, Daniel and his friends obey God, which is a cute little title, if you want to write that down. The title of my message is um, Christianity versus Conformity, and we're going to be talking about um, kind of how we live our lives in this world that we're in that's, like, so anti-Christian, so anti-Christian like values, um, because it's not really like the popular thing to be a Christian anymore. It's kind of frowned upon. Um, so we're going to be talking about how to stand fast in our faith and in our relationship with God. So verse 1, Daniel 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And I just want to pause real quick. I think it's really cool that this verse doesn't say that Nebuchadnezzar, um, like it was his doing that the, the people of Jerusalem were taken into captivity. It says that um, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So um, we kind of see like the all-powerful hand of God giving his, uh, if you don't know, Jerusalem is kind of like the chosen people of God. Um, and so we see him giving them into the hand of the enemy. It's not something that the enemy did. Um, 
So we just kind of get to see like the power of God's hand moving, which is really cool. Um, and then it continues and it says, with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Um, so we kind of see like these, these um, Israelites are taken into captivity and the things that are in their temple are taken to the temple of the people in Babylon. Um, and this is kind of a result of the people in Jerusalem um, really turning away from God, turning to idols and false beliefs, and kind of blaspheming the name of God. Um, they were kind of in a position that we are in now. Like, there's, there's this decision that we make where it's like, am I going to stand up for what I believe in? Am I going to um, proclaim my faith for Jesus? Or am I going to um, be shy and do things that I shouldn't do? And ultimately, as a representative of Jesus Christ, blaspheme his name. Um, And we see that as a result of the sin of of the Israelites, they are not only enslaved to their sin, but they're um, given into slavery to the the Babylonians. Um, So in verse 3, it says, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men who were there, with no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans, which is the Babylonians. Uh, The king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So if you guys grew up in church or have been coming for an extended period of time, you've probably heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you guys heard that one? Where um, they're basically like burned alive and they don't die. You know what I mean? They're put in a furnace and they're delivered. So it's the same guys. Um... And this is something that's really interesting that I just wanted to point out. The, so the Babylonians take these guys into captivity, and they give them new names, and they put them through this schooling system to kind of like um, assimilate them into the Babylonian culture so that they can serve under the king there. Um, and they change their names, and I think this is a really important thing to understand. Um, the name Daniel, which is his original um, Israelite name, means God is my judge, and they change it to Belteshazzar, which means Baal's prince, and Baal is one of their gods in Babylon. Uh, The name Hananiah, which means beloved by the Lord, was changed to Shadrach, which means um, illumined by the sun god, which is obviously another one of their false gods. The name Mishael, which means who is as God, was changed to Meshach, which means who is like Shaq. It's not talking about big Shaq. It's talking about another Babylonian god. Um, I couldn't make that joke over there, so I'm, I'm glad that I could make that here. Um, the name Azariah, which means the Lord is my help, was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego, which is another god. So they're changing these guys' names, and they're, they're trying to turn them from these devout Israelite believers to people who can kind of just serve and be like smart Babylonian ruler people. Does that make sense? Um, but it says in verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. 
Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed you food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their futures appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the eye of the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Um, so we're going to break that down. Uh, I know that was a lot of reading, um, but it's really a simple story. Um, Ezekiel 14, 14 says this. It says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, what a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness. I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. Um, this verse is from a completely different story, completely section of uh, the Bible, but I think it's very interesting that um, he lists these three guys as being um, exceptionally righteous, and it's Noah, Daniel, and Job. And if you guys don't know, Noah is a big deal. He had the ark, and basically it was like the the um, guy who like kind of saved people. I mean, obviously God saved people, but like he was he uh, was on a boat, and there's a big flood, and like him and his family um, became the the uh, beginning of like the population going from that point. Job was a guy who um, was um, tried and um, tempted and kind of put in a situation of difficulty by uh, the enemy, and he stood fast in his righteousness and uh, his faithfulness to God. So these guys are big deals, and Daniel's listed with them. Um, so he clearly is a very influential and remarkable guy. Um, so I just want to look at some things that him and his friends did um, that helped them to stand, stand firm and um, kind of resist opposition and remain steadfast in their faith to God in this time where the Babylonians are trying to turn them around and turn them for their own benefit. Um, so the first thing is um, they had a foundation, which is point number I. Um, <laughs> it is, it's kind of clear that the parents of these guys were um, most likely believers like I mentioned earlier, um, their names meant God is my judge, beloved by the Lord, who is as God, and the Lord is my help. So um, that's not really an accident. I mean, people don't usually name their kids those names by accident. It's not like they had a book of, like, the most popular names, and they're like, oh, yeah, that one, and it just happened to be like this. Like, these guys, their parents were believers, um, and so we can kind of conclude from that that they were brought up in a Christian household, which is... Um, something that not everyone is um, fortunate enough to um, experience. Um, but what I want to really kind of talk about based on this is that these guys had um, a foundation in their faith in God. They had a foundation in who the Lord was um, and how to properly walk out their lives. Um, 
Proverbs 2, or sorry, 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, and that's clearly what Daniel's parents did. Um, now, I want to talk about um, kind of my relationship with my parents real quick. Um, I grew up going to church here um, because when my parents were, like, pregnant, well, my mom was pregnant with me, not my, anyway, um, they were going to church here, so I was born, and I just went to church here, you know what I mean? So, um, and I remember this one specific time, there was this teacher that I, like, didn't really like a whole lot, and I don't know if it was because she was too loud, or she, like, I don't know, talked to me, or whatever, but I, I didn't like her, and I mentioned this to my mom, um, like, a couple weeks ago, and she was like, yeah, that lady was a handful, so it wasn't just me, but anyway, I was going to class, and I did not want to go to class, and I remember, like, literally, like, grabbing onto the door frame, like, as they were dragging me in, and I was like, I don't want to be here, I just want to go home and, like, sleep, and uh, I don't want this, and my parents made me go to class, and I'm not talking about, like, that heavy-handed, like, your parents are like, this is what you're going to do, um, you're going to go here, you're going to believe this thing, um, but my parents, as I grew older, really kind of dealt with me graciously in, um, their influence and like, you should go to church, you should, um, you know, this is what we believe, um, but you should figure out what the truth is for yourself. And um, even in times where like, I didn't really, I didn't want to be around people. I didn't, it's not that I didn't believe in God, but like, I didn't want to go to church. I don't know. I feel like a lot of us have been through that. I don't know. Um, but they, they just were, were like gentle in their nudging. Um, and as a result, I was able to kind of build up this foundation in what I believed in and this trust in God um, and this faith in how he worked and who he was, even though I couldn't physically see him. And we all have access to that foundation. Um, even if you weren't like me and you didn't grow up in a Christian home, like that's totally cool. Sometimes I almost wish I was in that situation because um, being like fed everything from infancy, like it, it takes less faith to believe. So I almost wish that I was, like, in the shoes of someone who, like, was a drug addict and, like, radically changed. Anyway, we all have access <laughs> to this, um, this foundation in God. Um, and Pastor Pete, when I was um, studying for this, uh, gave me this analogy, which is really cool. He was like, I'm going to give you this. Um, I've never said it before. So anyway, this is Pastor Pete's idea, it's not, not mine. But he said, um, he, he posed this question. He said, when is the best time to plant a tree? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, 20 years ago. I was like, oh, that's good to know. Um, and then he said, when is the second best time to plant a tree? And he said, today. And so there's this reality that, I mean, most of us in this room aren't even 20 years old. Um, and we can't go back and we can't begin to invest in a foundation in our walk with God. But if we don't already have that and we aren't already building on that, the best time to begin to invest in your relationship with God is right now. We don't want to be people who are waiting until we're in our 20s and our 30s and we've like gone through college and lived a sinful life to start investing in God and learning how he wants us to live our lives. Um, so Daniel and his friends had foundation, 
and that, that helped them to stand firm and stand steadfast um, in this time where um, the people around them were trying to turn them in the other direction, to change them, um, and ultimately to draw them away from God. Um, second point, um, it says that they purposed. In verse 5, um, it says, The king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at that time they might serve before the king. Basically what's happening here is these guys are taken out of Israel, out of Jerusalem, and they are put through this, um, this program where they're given the education um, and they're taken from their families and their names are changed. And what the Babylonians who have um, captured them are trying to do is just basically make them one of the Babylonians. Um, they're trying to change the core of who they are. But it says, um, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the Lord or the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. There's this thing that Nate says, um, and he says that we were created on purpose for a purpose. You guys have probably heard him say that. It's a super good quote. Um, but the purpose that I'm talking about in this point isn't like to have purpose. It's to purpose, okay, in our hearts. So it's this idea of making a decision based on a conviction to act or not act on something, okay? So this heart decision based on a conviction to act or not act on something. Um, as we see, the, the rulers in Babylon couldn't change the hearts of these guys, of Daniel and his friends. So the, uh, the Jewish people um, were presented with this law in the Old Testament, and um, they also derived some more laws from Scripture and had these set of rules. One of them is the kosher diet. Um, I don't know if any of you guys do the kosher diet. I think Charlotte does, but she's not here. Anyway, don't want to put her on the spot. That was awkward. Anyway, um, so it's this diet where it's like uh, they have specific rules about what they can eat. Um, one of them is like meat and milk can't be prepared in the same room. Um, it's a very specific diet. Um, but the important thing here isn't the diet. The important thing is that um, it says Daniel purposed to not be defiled. And so what we do with our heart matters a whole lot. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So salvation is a confession and a belief in our heart. Like entrance into eternity and eternal relationship with God comes from, well, we, we have access to it because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, um, but the way that we take hold of it is by a decision we make in our heart. And so what we do in our heart matters a whole lot. Um, and I kind of want to ask this question, like, have you, have you purposed in your heart to not defile yourself? Or are you just living to satisfy your flesh or do what is appealing to other people or what you think other people want? Have you purposed in your heart? Have you made that decision for yourself? Or are you just following God because that's what your friends are doing? Or are you not following God because that's what your friends are doing? You know what I mean? It's a decision that we have to make in our heart. Um, it's important to define what defiles us personally. Um, in 
1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 24, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So we need to ask ourselves, like, not based on what our friends think or what our pastors think. Those should be things that, if they're walking with the Lord, um, should make us think and influence us. But we need to ask ourselves, like, this thing that I'm listening to or watching or doing or going to, while it might not be bad inherently and it might not be bad for my friends, is this thing something that's defiling my heart? Is it leading my mind and my actions to a place where I shouldn't be? So we need to analyze our life and go, okay, like, what defiles me? Like, what draws me away from God and away from the way that he has called me to live? There's very concrete things in the Bible where it says, don't do this. Like, don't be dumb. Don't do this. But there's also things where it's like, the Bible doesn't say not to do this, but I know that this messes with my head, so I'm just, I shouldn't do it. Um, and then from that point, we need a purpose in our heart to not do it. Um, and a lot of people think that Christians are, like, not free people. They think that, like, we're really restricted in what we get to do. Um, but I would argue that I think Christians, um, people who believe in God, are the most free people because we have the opportunity to not do things. We have a resource, which is God's strength, to overcome temptations that someone who doesn't have that strength might not be able to overcome. So we have freedom to walk in this life um, that's ultimately going to be more fulfilling than what people think the free life is apart from God. Um, I am going to give you guys a sailing analogy if you ever, if like ever you've heard me teach, I've given one, except for maybe one time. So I'm doing that. Um, I, when I started sailing, I used to think that like you just like raise a sail and you could just go wherever you wanted. Um, and then I started sailing and I realized that's kind of not how it works. You actually have to like catch the wind with your sail and have it push your boat. And you have to adjust your sail to use that wind to push your boat which is crazy, um, and there was this idea that um, the guy in charge, sorry, that just, why is your phone so far away? Anyway, um, <laughs> but anyway, the guy in charge, so there was a Christian organization, so he gave us um, teachings based on the principles of sailing, and there was this one that really stuck out to me, and it was this idea of these things called island blockers, and basically what an island blocker is, is it's an island that is in between the wind and your sail. So what happens is when the wind is coming from this direction and your boat's here and there's an island here, the island blocks the wind from reaching your sail and you can't sail. Usually you have enough momentum or a motor to get to the other side and you're not stuck. Um, but the islands blocked the wind from reaching our sails. And there's this this is really interesting. I believe it's the Greek word for um, spirit is actually pneuma, which translates literally to wind. So the Holy Spirit of God, it's almost like this idea of wind. Like we don't get to see the Holy Spirit, but we can see the effects of it, just like the wind. And also, um, I believe that sin can be like islands in our lives, and that sin can be um, an island blocker and can um, block God's spirit from 
reaching our ears and our hearts. I think that when we have a, a specific sin that we do time and time again, and it becomes something that's a habit, that thing can keep us from hearing God's Spirit. Um, so it's important, like I said, to define what defiles you. I think a lot of times we're like, like, why am I not hearing from God? All my friends are hearing from God, and I just feel like I don't even know if he exists because I don't ever hear him speak to me. Um, I would challenge you to look at your life and maybe pick out, there might be a sin, something that is a habit or something that's not, um, that you keep going to that is keeping you from hearing God. Because a lot of times when we have a sin that's a habit, um, it's all we think about. And when you think about something, you're not thinking about another thing. So when we think about that sin a lot, we aren't thinking about God, and we aren't concerned with what he wants for us or what he's trying to tell us. So I would just challenge you guys to kind of look at your life um, and ask God to reveal to you if there's anything like that. You might not even know that it's something that's um, drawing you away from him. So Daniel requested a diet change. He was like, I don't want to eat the meat, and I don't want to eat the, I don't know what they had. It was I don't think it was junk food. It was just like delicacies. Anyway, he said he didn't want to eat it. He was like, let us eat just vegetables. Um, and so he was convicted. He said, this, this thing that you're telling me to do does not line up with, with what I think God wants me to do. So he felt convicted to not do that thing. And he did something about it. And so he purposed in his heart and he acted on that. Um, Timothy 2, 24 through 25 says this, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. It's very interesting to me that Daniel was still respectful about this. He wasn't like, he wasn't like, you're telling me to do something that I don't want to do, and because of that, you're an idiot, and you, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to respect you. He, he asked um, respectfully. And we, um, we live in a world where there are things that are happening around us that are accepted by people around us that as Christians we are not supposed to partake in. Um, but I think it's very important to remember that we are supposed to be respectful and reflect the love that God has for us. Because if all Christians do is judge people and be hypocritical about what you can't do or what I'm doing that makes me better than you, then people aren't going to want that. People are going to be rubbed the wrong way and um, they're not going to desire that because that doesn't seem pleasant. Um, so that's just something that's, I think, important to note. Um, now, there are some some practical things that, so like not doing things isn't just good because it pleases God. Obviously, that's enough reason to do it. But like practically, if you are like going out and like you're going to parties and you're getting drunk and you're doing all these things, like practically that is affecting your judgment it's affecting the influence that you have as a Christian on other people. Um, and it's practically 
something that um, kind of drives us in the dirt. I mean, I could go on with examples, but if there's something popping in your head, then um, maybe that's the Holy Spirit. Um, third point, prayer. We are going to fast forward to Daniel 6. Um, this is the other famous story of Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. I don't know if you guys have heard that one. Um, this is the one that's like in the, you know the thick books, like Bible books with the cardboard pages that, you know what I'm talking about? That are like slobber proof? Yeah, this is in those books. Um, so Daniel 6, chapter uh, 6, verses 5 through 10. It says this, Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Um, Basically, what's happened is Daniel has moved up since chapter 1. He's become more influential uh, because he was given favor to his leaders by God. And so there's people under him and people, his peers, um, that kind of want to take him down. They don't like Daniel a whole lot. Um, And so they say, we can't find any charge against him because um, he's such such a great guy. But they said, we can find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged to the, to the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. Which, first of all, they're just kind of kissing up to him. Um, they say, oh, all the governors, sorry, my, my like page like jumped down. I was like, oh. Um, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, basically they're saying if we want to set a 30-day period and if anyone prays or worships anyone other than the king, then they will be thrown into a, len- a den of lions. Di- den of lions. Den of lions. <laughs> now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks to his God, as was his custom since early days. So we see that Daniel had a life of prayer. Um, And uh, I would say kind of in like three circumstances, he had this prayer life. The first is he had it in opposition. These guys are threatening essentially to have him killed for praying. And then it says when he knew that they, they did that, he went home um, and he prayed three times that day. He, knew, he prayed when he knew there would be consequences and he valued remaining faithful in communicating with God and having a relationship with him. Um, secondly, he prayed in, in number and quantity. Um, it says that he prayed three times that day, which means he had a routine. Um, and it was something that he stuck to, even though he was potentially going to be killed for it. Um, so what that means is that God was probably involved in his life decisions um, on a day-to-day basis, and he actually had a relationship with him. And then thirdly, um, it says he prayed in early early day, or no, it said, as was his custom since early days, in verse 10. So, um, again, Daniel had a foundation. He had been doing this for a while. Um, and so if we want to stand firm in our faith in God in a world that 
doesn't support faith in God, we need to have a life of prayer. We need to do it when, well, in opposition, when it's not the cool thing to do, or when we feel like we don't have time to do it. We need to do it in number. Now, I'm not saying that there's a science and there's a set number of times you have to pray a day, but I think that the more that we pray to God, the more that he's involved in our decisions, um, and the more that our will becomes aligned with his. Um, And then thirdly, um, we need to continue to do it. I, my problem is I, I'll pray like a decent amount for like a week and then I'll just forget about it. You know what I mean? Um, and so Daniel had this pattern of praying and he did it for a long time. And so that helped him to stand firm for a long time, um, in his faith in God. First Chronicles 1611 said this, look to the Lord and his strength seek his face always. So we see that uh, Daniel had a, a practice of seeking God's face. In verse 17 of Daniel chapter 1, we're beginning to close now. Um, worship team, you guys can head up here. Uh, it says, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in the, in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So him and his friends, they purpose in their hearts to not be defiled and they say, we're not going to eat the, the meat and the things that the Babylonians want us to eat. Even though they might be tempting, we're going to adhere to the conviction that God has given us. We're going to eat these vegetables. And as a result, they're given favor um, in front of the people that are over them. Now, um, this opposition didn't end just because they stood up for their faith one time. It's not like their life was easy after that. I mean, as we see, Daniel was... Um, well, they threatened to burn his friends alive. They threatened to throw him in a den of lions, and they acted on both of those things. So his life didn't become easier, but we, we read about it. He stands firm in his um, walk with God throughout everything. And so he does that by having a foundation in God and by purposing in his heart based on the conviction of the Holy Spirit and by praying and talking to God um, and learning about him. And so we can do the same thing. We have access to all of the resources. I mean, Daniel had some of the Bible, what was written at the time. We have the whole Bible. We have really good resources. We have um, pastors we can talk to. Um, There's things like commentaries online. We have access to all these resources. And so we can live out the life that Daniel had. We can live out this life where we're not, we're not um, pulled away from God. We're not brought down by the things of the world. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have access to that. And um, let me tell you, it, it's the best way to live um, trying to please God and do what he wants because when we please ourselves, it might be good for a time, but I've been there. We find ourselves at rock bottom, and we're like, this isn't working for me. I need something else. So the best time to plant that tree is today.
start building that foundation. Start praying. Set reminders on your phone. Pray. Purpose in your heart. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Maybe we need to remove that sin that's a habit in our life that's keeping the Holy Spirit from getting to our ears, to our heart. Um, and we can do that because we have the strength of God and um, God-believing friends around us who can hold us accountable. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do one more song of worship. Lord, I just...